I'm Zivy Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zivyowens.com for updates on podcast guests and lots of live events. Today's episode has been sponsored by Good Pods. It's a really amazing app where you can follow your smartest, funniest, most curious podcast junkie friends and other people you admire to see what podcasts they're listening to, and it's all by episode. So I know I have my own podcast, but even I find myself overwhelmed by how many episodes there are of other podcasts and what I should listen to next. So Good Pods is still in beta, and they're looking for testers who will give them honest feedback. So you can go to Good Pods on the App Store or Google Play and check out which podcast your friends are listening to. And by the way, go on there and show them that you're listening to my podcast. That would really be awesome. So anyway, Good Pods was founded by a friend I used to work with many moons ago in, I guess, 1999, which really ages me here. But anyway, JJ Ramberg and I used to work together at a big company called Idealab. If anybody heard of that, she was with the site called cooking.com and I was with Idealab. And now she started Good Pods, among many other endeavors that she's done. Um, and this she's done with her brother, Brad Ramberg, who was also at Idealab with me. So all comes full circle. So anyway, thank you to JJ and Brad and everybody uh, at Good Pods for sponsoring this episode and for making a new searchable listening tracking thing for podcasts, which is going to be super helpful in helping people find great podcasts, hopefully like mine. (laughs) Thank you. Megan Angelo is the debut author of Followers, a novel. Originally from Quakertown, Pennsylvania, she graduated from Villanova University. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times, where she helped launch comedy coverage, the Wall Street Journal, Glamour, Elle, and many other publications. She currently lives in Pennsylvania with her family. Welcome, Megan. Thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you for having me, Zimmy. Thanks for coming up from Pennsylvania. That was really nice of you. No problem. I love the bus. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations on your debut novel, Followers. Really exciting. Thank you. How do you feel with it coming out? It's so cool. It's crazy. I mean, you know, I think everyone feels this way to some extent, but for so long it was just something on my desktop. And now to walk into stores and see it is wild. So cool. So tell listeners, please, what Followers is about. Sure. So Followers is set half in 2015 and half in 2051. And in 2015, it's about two girls who find each other on Craigslist as roommates and hatch a scheme to get famous. And in 2051, it's about a woman named Marlo who is sort of the future version of a celebrity. She lives in a community that looks like it was built by Instagram. It's a closed community. They're on camera almost 24-7. And the fun of the book is sort of about finding out what happened to America in between the two timelines and how all of the women are connected. Wow. I mean, that's a great description. Thank you. I've been working on it. Everybody want to read that. I mean, (laughs) that sounds great. Can you give any previews about what happens in America in between? I can. It's something that will make you want to throw your phone in the Hudson. Okay. (laughs) Could I try the East River? You could do the East River. Okay. All right. So I have options. (laughs) You have options. Now I feel in control. (laughs) (laughs) So why? Why this book? How did you come up with the idea for this? I came up with the idea for this sort of in pieces. I had been working in celebrity journalism and entertainment journalism for a really long time. And I don't even think I realized how much color was sort of accumulating in my head about how strange it is behind the scenes of a photo shoot or on the other side of the rope at the red carpet. But what really launched me into the story was 
thinking about the future, I was writing in my journal one day and I write in cursive and I realized my kids would not be able to read it. Definitely not my grandkids. And I just sat with it because I thought, oh, I'd love to write something that goes into the future, but I'm not a sci-fi person. I'm not a dystopia person. And I'd love to do something that feels more grounded and stuff like that, where you, you know, your grandmother would be saying to you, well, this is how it was in my day. And it would just be this strange thing that didn't exist in yours. So slowly over time, all of those pieces came together. Add in what was going on in the world when I started writing in late 2016. And you have followers. <laughs> I loved at the beginning when you were like, this is something known as an envelope or something. Like, what <laughs> yeah. is this weird, scratchy stuff? And I didn't actually know what you were talking about until at the end, you were, at the end of the chapter, you are like, this is cursive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you really, it's an interesting exercise to like step back and see. I feel like for years, I was just going around and looking at our world as like, what feels like it really shouldn't be here anymore? Like, you know, the phone book still lands on my doorstep a couple of times a year. It's it's like almost like a prank gift. Like you're like, what am I going to do with this? So it was fun to sort of see anachronisms in everyday life. Do you think that we're not going to, I mean, my kids still learn cursive at school. So mine go to public school and they don't. And it's been interesting because this little origin story has brought out so many different things from interviewers. I've had some people who are like radio hosts, but also teachers tell me that no, their their teenagers don't know cursive even now in high school. Mm. And I said to one of these guys, like, well, how do they sign their names? And he was like, well, they basically just make up like a cursive adjacent thing cursive for adjacent. signing their names, but the otherwise they don't use it at all. And some moms have told me, have like messaged me on Instagram and said like, I send my kids to cursive camp in the summer. So wow, yeah, I think it's sort of a varying thing, but I think my kids will be able to make it out because I write, they'll be around the house with me. You know what I mean? Like they'll get a sense of it from me. But I don't know about like my grandkids or, you know, people who have sort of people who write in really sloppy cursive. Mm -hmm. I don't know if kids will be able to. Do you think that they'll be able to read hand? Like, do you think they'll know how to write by hand? Or do you think that'll go by the wayside too? And you know, only, only type? I don't know. It's funny because, I mean, my son, I sort of look for ways to be not so like of a hand wringer because it makes me feel old. So I don't want to be like, oh no, no cursive. My son, who's in kindergarten, does type a lot, but they do practice printing. And what I think is maybe an advantage of being born now and like going into the future is he's learning to print, you know, by hand, to type. And he's learning like English and Spanish at the same time, which like mm -hmm. I, we didn't grow up like right. that. Yeah. Everything came later when our brains were like harder. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I do think there's advantages to things moving on. But yeah, cursive was kind of where it all began. And when you think about the world in the future, like this is a fun exercise for anybody to do. Like, what do we think the world would be like in 2051? I don't know. Like, yeah. how did you pick what to include? Like, mm. how did you... There were no bounds. You could have put anything in there. Yeah, there were no bounds. And my poor agent had to, <laughs> <laughs> had to read the draft where there were no bounds. Okay, all right. Because, you know, being a journalist, I sort of, I think I got really overexcited in the early drafts. And, you know, it was a mix of too much research and just the instinct to report. Mm -hmm. You know, there's like long passages about like, famine and race and all these different things that didn't really go with the story. And so I had to have the confidence in later drafts to be like, okay, that's really nice. You can know it in your head for context, but this story is about fame and communication 
and women and motherhood and friendship. And so those are the parts of the future you need to see here. Wow. So are you getting, you must be getting a lot of questions about followers in general and Instagram and Facebook. And do you have a view? What's your party line on social media? I mean, uh, it's hard because I'm not naturally suited to it. Like, I don't know how you feel, but to me, it is work. It is, I don't know if it's that I'm a little too old or if it's just not in my personality to be a little bit exhibitionist, but I don't like it. I don't like to use it, but I use it for work. So it's hard because I don't know. It's a lot of pressure. It's sort of like, especially now that I'm out here promoting a book, it's almost like a switch flipped the day the book came out and I'm supposed to act like I'm famous. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think I say something like this in the book. When the character Floss is first getting started, she posts like pictures of her meals and it's like, there's nothing really interesting about them. They're just supposed to be interesting because she's eating them. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I feel. Like, who cares about my day? You know what I mean? So it's a little bit of a struggle for me. But at the same time, of every time I see someone follow me on Instagram, I'm like, well, that's nice. They're invested in the book. They're invested in me as a writer. And so I try to do it for them, but I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think about, so Sage, in the very beginning, you have her basically, you know, dead, essentially. And like, mm-hmm. the, I, I don't think I'm giving too much away. No, no. So early like on, first it's five like, pages. okay, fine. Yeah. And it sort of like epitomizes the sort of stardom you can have on social and how it can so quickly dive. And yeah. you have like teams of people following her and her every move. Yeah. And then next thing you know, that's it. Mm-hmm. What do you think about these sort of, I'm envisioning like a shooting star sort of diving Uh into it. Like, because people come in and out of popularity so quickly and then their stars fade and it's on to the next Mm -hmm. and some with disastrous consequences. Yeah. So Sage, who appears at the top of the book, is is sort of like this Lindsay Mm Lohan-esque character that Orla, one of the protagonists, is tasked with writing about at her website a lot. And it's so funny. I don't, I look back and I'm like, it's interesting to see the things that surfaced after so many years of trafficking in this stuff as a blogger and, you know, as a journalist. I mean, I always felt bad when people didn't like the things I wrote about them. And I think that's how I knew I wasn't cut out to be a great journalist. Because if a celebrity called and said like, you know, I, this made me feel bad or I, I wish you wouldn't have said that. I took it really, really hard. And even when I didn't know the person, I'm thinking specifically of Lindsay Lohan because I can see myself sitting at my desk writing about, you know, not that I brought any expertise or any original knowledge of the situation, but I've had many jobs where it was my job to go on a computer and say, Lindsay Lohan was found unresponsive somewhere, or Lindsay Lohan this. And I always just felt terrible about it. Like, it really got to me. And so I think that Sage, I wanted to put her in there to show that she's sort of the person that everyone sees, but there's all these people behind that phenomenon, and mm-hmm. that's Orla. And then people have views on is that right to do that too? Like, yeah. is that, should we be, you know? It's certainly not what I set out to do. I mean, do you know what? I, I graduated college in 2006 and my dream. Oh my God, you're so young. Well, every day I get older. <laughs> every day I meet more, more every day I meet younger people. But, you know, my dream was to work at Vanity Fair and the internet was not 
even a glimmer in my eye. And then suddenly, as soon as I became an adult, it was like print was out, the internet was in, and I was scrambling to try to keep up. And I mean, did I envision that I would be sitting there, you know, regurgitating these depressing headlines? No. But it kind of became this rite of passage for people Almost like replacing the act of like being an assistant or mm-hmm. something like that. Although I got to be an assistant too. So I did both. And I, I'm a strong proponent of the merits of being an assistant. Wait, let me read this this quote, which thank you for setting that up so nicely. In this article for NBCnews.com that you wrote, you talked about Natalie Beach's article about essentially impersonating an influencer. Because that was became her job. Is to, anyway. At the end, you write, there are more Natalie Beaches out there, young people at the uncertain beginnings of their careers, creatives who, in a different time, may have started by sorting mail or taking coffee orders at an agency or a magazine. These jobs never made anyone feel glamorous. Anyone who ever had one remembers doing the crappy job math. Could you stick it out for six months, a year, two tops? But people doing work like Beaches have to factor in an added risk. Stay too long, and you may forget when you go to pick her back up just where you put yourself down. Mm. <laughs> Good. Oh, thanks. No problem. So tell me a little more about this and this particular situation and everything. Well, I, well, this is, I haven't really talked about this, but I kind of got in trouble for this. Oh, okay. Piece. Well, we don't have to talk about No, it. no, I think it's okay. I mean, because it's interesting. It's sort of like an art imitating life. Right. Imitating yes. art thing. Yes. Do you know who Caroline Calloway no. is? So Caroline Calloway is an influencer and a writer And she sort of has attracted a lot of media attention for being, I think, pretty good at those things is kind of the gist of it. But she got very upset about this article and kind of like, you know, did a lot of posts on Instagram mentioning me. Oh, no way. No, no, it's fine. I mean, but I think it's good to talk about it here because what I did not do was respond on social media at all because— I'm 35 and I'm just like, I feel like I'm a little too old for influencer feuds on Instagram. But I didn't know that had an age cap, but I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> well, I am setting one. Okay, good. Thank you. <laughs> Great. So I don't know. And even that is revealing to my personality because it made me feel bad that like she didn't like that piece. But at the same time, it sort of gave her something to post about that day. And even after all of this time trying to understand this world for the book, I still feel like I don't really get it. I'm always a step behind, and I truly don't know if she was even really mad or she was just posting. So that was kind of an interesting experience, but I did find the Natalie Beach angle of it all to be really fascinating. There was a big piece in the cut about Natalie, and Natalie was essentially the person who helped Caroline establish her online presence. And I do feel like that is something that is probably appealing to a lot of young creative people moving to the city right now who might have had these different jobs, where even if it was really crap work, was a little easier to qualify on your resume, a little easier to be taken care of by a company. So it's strange. It's just one more way that Instagram is kind of replacing whole industries, which is nuts to me. It is nuts. Have you met Emily Gould? We've never met. I'm a fan of hers. Okay, yeah. I have to put you in touch because she used to work at Gawker. Mm-hmm. I've read a lot there of was, her. Okay, well, anyway. Yeah. All right, you have very similar, and her book is coming out, too. Yes, I'm so excited do. to read her book. Yeah, yeah. So you have three kids under the age of five. I do. How is that going? And how did you find time to write this book in the midst of all of that chaos? That's a really good question. I mean, 
so I've been doing like a lot of radio interviews lately and I sort of give this cute answer because I'm limited on time, but I think I'm just going to be very honest Please. about it yeah. here. No, don't give the canned okay. answer. That's like a waste of both of our time. Good. Because, you know, these are not polished thoughts, but here's the first thing. I always like to tell people that there was a lot of Netflix involved on days where I had to rewrite something. There was a lot of days where I probably wasn't that good of a mom because I was preoccupied or pissed off about a note that I didn't want to take. And so I would like snap at my kids. And I don't mean to paint myself in such a dark way, but I know how I would feel if I saw a mom who just like seemed perfect and then had just like written a novel during this crazy time. So I want people to understand that like how I did it like, the short answer is not elegantly <laughs> at all, and I hope my kids will forgive me for it. But it's really hard. I mean, the time constraints are a hard thing, but I can kind of roll with that. Like, I would write while I was pumping even after two of the babies that were born during it, and I'm okay on a little less sleep. But now I'm trying to do it again, and my one-year-old is still, you know, pretty high-maintenance, as one-year-olds tend to be. My three- and five-year-old boys are insane. And I don't really remember how I did it. And I'm thinking a lot about the ways you change after you have kids. It changes you in great ways, I think. But I think I was really prepared for, like, not having the same body after having kids. But I wasn't prepared for how it would change my mind. Mm. Like, I feel like I'm not as sharp as I used to be. I feel like I'm not as funny as I used to be. I find myself writing, like, the wrong word in an email. When I mean to say purpose, I write purchase. And I'm like, oh, my God. And it's unnerving because, like, this is not the moment. <laughs> this is not the moment to feel like you're really down on your faculties. But I feel like that a lot of days. I actually called a doctor at one point because I was like, all the words keep, all the wrong words keep coming out of my mouth. <laughs> like, I'm getting, and I started, like, keeping a log. Like, yeah. I keep saying, garage when I mean garbage. Yes. I was like, I think I'm developing some sort of neurological disorder. And I went and got like an MRI and all this stuff. Turns out I was just really tired and stressed out. Okay. I mean, we're like, when you keep all this information in and dealing with multiple kids Mm -hmm. and just kids in general and lack of sleep and all the rest of it, like your brain can only do so much. And being creative and all your output. Yeah, I think you're right. And I'm like really comforted to hear that that has happened to you It still happens to me all the time. I don't know. So even the kids, they know like, oh, it's, you know, you didn't get a lot of sleep. All the wrong words are coming out. <laughs> all and I'm like, I cannot words. afford to not be able to say the right words. But like by the end of the day, forget it. It definitely is a social experiment. I mean, I feel like in some ways I'm more trained up to forms of torture or anything, <laughs> anything unforeseen like that. If yeah. I, if I'm somehow taken like a prisoner of war someday, I feel like some of these things I'll be like, you're going to have to use a different one on me because... I haven't slept in six years, and I can take a lot of noise stimulation, so keep yeah. thumbing through the handbook. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah, I thought that, too. Like, okay, I, I know how to survive now and no sleep. I yeah. figured it out. Yeah. Like, yeah. So Navy true. SEALs, here I come. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind that I'd be useless once I woke up, but, like, here I am. <laughs> so what do you mean you're working on another one? What are you working on now? What's your next? So book? I'm working on another book that's sort of set half in 1999 and half now. The hook of it is that there's sort of these two friends who've been friends since high school. Something happened in high school where 
they accused a third girl of making up someone on AOL Instant Messenger. If you can travel, I can remember that. Travel yes. on back with me. Yes. And one day, now they're in their 30s, this person that they swore was made up, consequences for their friend, just shows up, and she's real. And it kind of unravels the truth of their friendship, the truth of the past 20 years of their life. And I don't know. I didn't know what it was about in a bigger sense at first. But now that I'm further into it, I'm really seeing it's like just me trying to make sense of what it meant to be a teenager at a time where, like, in some ways the Internet was so prevalent. But it was still just something in the living room that, like, you could get up and walk away from and have the rest of your life. And people could still disappear. So... It's been a lot of fun. So I'm working on that, and then I'm working on some TV projects, too. Yeah. I'm trying to sell a series about three moms who go to the same bar studio and who find out that it's, like, a front for something else, and it kind of is a trapdoor into this, like, whole secret history of women in America. So just little tiny things to try and deal with between preschool drop-off and preschool pickup. And Wow. Yeah. I'm really impressed. Thank you. I mean, I'm trying to say. I mean, you should just give yourself some credit for all the stuff you're doing, not to sound like, I mean, now that I know I'm a few years older than you, now I can be wise (laughs) and give you advice. But, I mean, I know what it's like having little tiny kids, and now that my kids are a little bit older, like— that is the most crazy period of life. Okay. I mean, it gets different, but it's never that crazy and intense and like physically demanding as it is when your kids are that little. And to, okay. to be taking on all of this creative work at the same time is like, I mean, you're going to feel like you've trained at altitude once they get a little older. <laughs> you're going to feel like when That's they are all in kindergarten and older, you're going to be like, wow, look at what I can do because now I have this time. And Well, that... Thank you, because that makes me feel really good. And I feel like no one ever says that. All anyone ever says to me is, it goes so fast. And I'm like, it's not, not going fast that enough. fast. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. That that makes yeah. me feel motivated and good. Oh, good. I'm so glad. <laughs> no, I mean, I loved when my kids were little, but it was long. Those days were long. Yeah. Particularly the twins. I mean, that was like ages ago. But I said to them the other day, I was like, do you even remember that I stayed home with you for years? Like, do you even remember that? I didn't do like anything when they're like giving me a hard time. Like, oh, you have another podcast. I'm like, I didn't do anything for years on end. And I was like, do you remember? And my son was like, yeah, that was amazing. I was like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Now I feel even worse. That's really sweet. Yeah, I guess. I mean, also. But I think it's good in the long run, even if you like can't get their juice right when they want their juice. I think it's good in the long run for them to see us as having like other things. Do you know what I mean? Because there will come a time when they're like, stop being so obsessed with me. And that's when we have to have our other things. Yes. It's a delicate balance, Mm -hmm. but I'm glad I stayed home when I did. I'm glad I'm doing other things now, even still at home. But every day it's like, how do we make this work? And uh, yeah. The the work from home mom is an interesting, I, I mean, I'm the same way because mm-hmm. I'm at home with them too. And it's very hard to draw the lines. I think there's probably in this economy, a lot of women out there dealing with the same thing. So yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, do you have any advice for aspiring authors? I, I, I guess I get my advice mostly from like thinking about, you know, I was an aspiring author, like 18 months ago. So it's very fresh. And I would say just don't worry so much if it's bad, which sounds obvious. But if you are someone who has a full-time career 
and other family obligations and other life obligations, and you're trying to write a book, you're probably a pretty ambitious person, I would imagine. And so you might be kind of in that perfectionist type A zone. And, you know, everyone can say like, oh, just write the first draft and just vomit on the page and it'll get better later. I'm not really like that either. Like, I feel like when I'm writing a first draft, I'm like, well, if I die and someone finds this, I want them to think I was as good as Hemingway. Like, it's ridiculous. So I would, with followers, I would get really, really down when I felt like it wasn't good. But you know what? It didn't matter because no one ever saw it until it was good. Mm -hmm. So... I would say to aspiring authors, just keep that in mind. Like, if it's bad, no one's going to know. So let it be bad until it's good, and then you can celebrate it. Nice. Here's to bad work. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you, Zibby. This was so fun. You've been listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books with Zibby Owens. Please make sure to sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com to get more updates about episodes like these and also lots of live events. Thanks again to Good Pods for sponsoring this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. Thank you.